0: listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join in the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great
1: Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Good morning again. This is Father Richard Kuntz along with Kevin Pelon, coming to you from the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota on the beautiful shores
0: of Lake Superior. You know, I really was enjoying listening to Karen's testimony yeah. about her journey. And when she when she mentioned so many people are, she either said, lacking hope or without hope. Mm-hmm. And the past year has just been one filled with hope for yeah, her. Yeah. That was really encouraging.
1: Yeah. I mean, she she's a, uh, you know, I've gotten to know her fairly well through the RCIA process. And one thing I'll say about Karen is that she's funny. She's one of those people that doesn't mean, she does, I don't think she means to be funny, but she's really funny because she's so sincere in what she says. It's like you don't know what she's going to say, and when she says it, sometimes it's pretty funny. And so there's a there's a real uh, joy component to that, and so I love seeing how the Catholic faith is kind of uh,
0: helping feed that a little bit. Yeah, she sounds like someone that truly is stating what is on her mind, right. and <laughs> she does you that. don't have to worry about yeah. Is she filtering this or not? Through right, right. Something yeah, else.
1: Yeah. What is it? What did um, uh, Jesus say? There's no guile in that. Uh, Who is he talking about? I can't remember off the top of my head. It was Bartholomew or something or Philip. Anyhow, there's no guile in Karen. You can you uh, you get what you see. So she's really funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just even her sitting here with us, you can feel yeah. how she's just exuding joy. Right, right. This right. is a woman that is filled with joy. She's yeah. going to go from here and go continue to be joyous yeah, wherever yeah, she's going yeah.
1: next <laughs> exactly
0: that's um, fantastic so tell me a little bit about your weekend kevin well we had uh well you know talking about this hockey thing we had a little oh, yeah. uh, hockey tournament up in woodland in your old stomping ground yeah. and uh it was just a blast you know they have a big fire pit going and oh, there's sure. and people everywhere and and little kids falling all over the ice. It's kind of funny to watch little kids play hockey. Mm-hmm. And Sebastian, how old is he now? He's five, and he's um, he's only paying attention to what's going on about 40% of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's amazing to see the difference, though. You have these kids who are flying right. around the ice. Right, and, right. Yeah. And then there's kids like Sebastian who are just right. like, I just
1: learned how to skate. No, I mean, I grew up playing hockey. I think I've mentioned this before. I think I was on a hockey team team when i was three so wow. we, we were like super into hockey when i was growing up and that's why i can still race these young kids and beat them in a race because i mean i basically me and my two brothers were born with skates on it's like that was our thing early early on in life
0: yeah and then at some point you learn how to walk after that i suppose
1: yeah walking came after skating kind <laughs> of. i think i had a lot easier time with the skates than i did with the shoes
0: yeah and then of course we had the big Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did, you know, I can't remember having I can't remember the last time I had that much fun watching the game. Really? You know, I had no invested interest in either team. Wanted yeah, to see a good right. game and it was a great game. What were you cheering for
1: Well, I mean, like you it's like it wasn't the Vikings. Right. You know, so it's like and it wasn't the Packers who I don't like. So mm-hmm. so uh, I wanted Kansas City, you know, because they hadn't won for fifty years.
0: I was happy for Andy Reid. I, yeah. it, he's, he's busted his right, for so long you know what yeah, yeah just to to get there and so it was it was good he, to see that he's finally got there yep. well, let's okay. get to more important things here exactly more important than the super bowl yes for sure
1: our faith this is the uh, opportunity as you have already heard for you to give a call into the show you can call 877 795 0122 Or you can go on our Facebook page and you can submit a question. You don't have to ask on the air. You can just have it uh, you can uh, the people that answer the phone can actually take the question for you. The thing that I always challenge listeners to, at least on our, um, at least on the show that we are hosting, is that uh, to call early in the segment. We always tend to have callers coming in at the last part, and it gives us only a few minutes or a much shorter period of time to answer the questions. And so I am challenging listeners to submit questions early on. That's eight seven seven. Seven nine five zero one two two. that's 877 any question on your mind that has to do with what's going on in the world today, what's going on theological, what's going on in your parish, anything like that, or go to our Facebook page.
0: And, and while people are calling in, actually speaking of the Super Bowl, there's two things that I was thinking about about it. One was, you know, in my house, we basically just have to shut off at halftime, Yeah, you know, we just shut yeah. it off, right, and... Right. Uh, I mean, and this a, was a good year to shut it off. I, I mean, it's embarrassing. Right, right. It's just really embarrassing for everybody involved. But um, the cool thing is at the end, the Chiefs, uh, there, there's an article on uh, Alitia. I don't know how to say it. It's a Catholic news site. Oh, okay. And uh, the Chiefs are thanking God for their <clears throat> their Super Bowl victory. And so it's really? just, you see a lot of that. The faith component um, in the NFL right now, you see a lot of that in, in the sports world. Um, yeah. You know, most recently, you know, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, Bryant
1: right? uh, He had gone to a Catholic church right before. He was, if I understand it
0: correctly, he went to church not long before he. got So, the crash. so he credits uh, a priest and his Catholic faith for basically saving his marriage. Uh, back in two thousand and three, uh, and he and his wife were regular parishioners um, at a local Catholic church yeah. in the uh, LA diocese. And uh, you know there's stories out there about people who have, you know, seen him at daily mass, and and it's just you know it's pretty incredible to see that uh, kind of transformation. And someone who is just at the top of their game, at the top of the you know, the upper echelons of yeah, you know, excellence.
1: Well, and and you know, I mean, faith is a faith is something that should be part of anybody's life, even no matter what their profession is. So uh, we certainly saw that at least from what we're understanding with Kobe Bryant's uh, on uh, unexpected passing and and you know those are the things that are actually um, cause us to look I think that should cause us to look up to these people. He was great on the basketball court, but the fact that his faith held an important component in his life that's mm-hmm. more important to, obviously it's much more important on the big scheme of things
0: yeah and I was I was really shocked to hear about um, his death you know on Sunday but when or you know a week ago Sunday, when I, you know, heard that he was Catholic, I, I mean, it was just the instant hope. You know, right. instant hope for him and for his right, family. Right, right. And yeah. just, you know, knowing that God has got it all under control. Right. Um, yeah. it was a kind of a cool quote from Patrick Mahomes, you know, the the mm-hmm. winning quarterback. Um, in my opinion, he wasn't the MVP of the game, but that's for another well, conversation. Well, he, he had like
1: two interceptions or yeah, something, Yeah, I think
0: it was their running back. But um, his quote after the game was really cool. He had said... You know, Obviously, I want to win every game, but I'm glorifying him every time I'm out there. As long as I'm doing everything the right way and the way that he would want me to do it, then I can walk off the field with my head held high and be able to be the man that I am. And that's, you know, he was saying that to a reporter. Yeah, so. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool to see that.
1: All right, folks, 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. If you're driving in your car, pull over because you can't drive in your car and talk anymore, at least not without hands free. Uh, So 877-795-0122. Any question that you have on your mind uh, or go to our Facebook page. Well, you know, another big thing was this weekend was um, uh, uh, not only Super Bowl, but also it's the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord which is a, that yeah. doesn't, doesn't normally fall on a Sunday, but when it does, it takes precedence. Now, is is that considered the official end of the Christmas season? It's traditionally the traditionally. end. Traditionally. Yeah, and so from my understanding, and a caller can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is that the, uh, uh, the Vatican's manger scene and tree does not come down until February 2nd. And so um, uh, if you had your tree up all January, you're okay. Even on February 1st. And you're not just lazy. You're not just, well, that could be the reason. You could at least give a religious excuse to it. Well, the
0: presentation of the Lord hasn't happened yet, which is, of course, 40 days after the birth. That's my excuse for why the lights are still on in the front yard every night.
1: Um, so Eli actually, Eli is our voice in our in our head, actually says, does that mean I have to take my uh, tree and lights down now? No, Eli, you can actually keep them up until next year if you want. Unless it's a natural tree, then you should probably take it down.
0: Yeah, you're going to start to lose needles there. Yeah.
1: 877 So yeah the the presentation of the Lord is um, one of those days that's it's always on the 2nd of February 40 days after Christmas and it's one of those feast days the feast days of the Lord that if it falls on a Sunday it takes precedence that's why you don't hear it if you're like a you know a regular Sunday mask or it's like wait a minute I haven't heard about this feast day before it's been a while since we had it on a Sunday but it does take precedence
0: Mm So uh did you? um ha- Is there any special readings that you use uh, for your liturgy of the hours, as we talked about last month? Do you have special office of readings oh, of course, for that yeah. day? course,
1: Every feast day has uh, has different readings for the liturgy of the hours, and so when we have a big one, you know, like a solemnity of the presentation, then um, it affects the uh, the divine office more. You know, you say more of the prayers for that day, and it's not an option. So okay, takes, so we didn't have the fourth week of. Ordinary time this year, or okay. the fourth Sunday, I should say, uh, because of the of the presentation. All right, folks, if you are waiting to call, we're waiting for you to call. That's eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. You're proving my point that we don't get calls till the end of the segment. 877
0: 795 or on our Facebook page. For those who are just tuning in, we're in our Straight Talk section. And the point of Straight Talk is really just to start a conversation. It's an opportunity for listeners to call in questions about the faith or ask questions and or comment on things happening around us in the world today as you hear Father Rich and myself doing a little bit right now. One more time, 877-795-0122. If you have questions about the faith or questions or comments on current events, please give us a call in or give us a note on Facebook, and we'll make sure to get it in during this segment. So, Kevin, I mean, how many kids do you have now? We have three children. Our so, oldest is five. So so what's it like bringing three kids to Mass? Um, it's... There's different kinds of families that bring their kids to Mass. We are not the family that's able to sit in one of the front two pews sure. whose <laughs> yeah. kids face forward <laughs> right. and stay in a, a relatively confined area you're of not, the not. You're not one of them. No, and <laughs> I, it blows my mind. It makes me think, are we doing something wrong <laughs> that we have not trained our children in this way? I don't think so. I see uh, plenty of parents that are doing it our way, too, where we're... You know, sometimes we find ourselves having to be in the the you know the cry room, if you will, right? And spending time there. But what I've noticed lately is um, we've been trying more to sit inside of the sanctuary during mass, and it instead of it being you know more difficult, I found it uh, easier. Mm-hmm. or more easy for our kids to follow a little bit what's going on or to actually whisper when they have so a question. I, so
1: I think the concept of having kids in the very front pew is that parents will say, well, at least maybe they'll pay attention a little bit more. It's not that they're better behaved kids because, believe me, as the presider, lots of, <laughs> lots of those families can be quite a distraction. But I think I think the idea is that, that, well, if we if they have a close view of what's going on, then maybe they'll pay more attention. Mm-hmm. You're not, you, you don't describe to that for your family.
0: No, but I think at anecdotally there is plenty of evidence for that to be true. You know, right. for the families that are sitting up there, you do see that, and so we we are trying as much as we can to, you know, we have a five, a three, and a one year old to That's sit crazy. inside the sanctuary yeah. and just go out when we need to, which is often. But yeah. um, I, I've noticed a difference in our our kids, um, especially our oldest starting to do some of the responses and he looks like he's not even paying attention he's drawing on a little do piece of paper and then all of a sudden he's praying the vocation prayer yeah. <laughs> or, you know he's praying you never know
1: what the, they're nice you never incre- know how they're paying attention Yep. and same thing with our listeners you don't know if our listeners are paying attention you can call 877-795-0122 it's 877-795-0122 so um uh, so sebastian is is doing the Nicene Creed sometimes, and
0: yeah, and you know certainly the Our Father and the Lamb of God, and uh, I'll find him praying and singing some of the the Mass Ordinary, even yeah. you know the the Kyrie and things like that. <laughs> it's really it's really kind of cool. So that's motivated me to try and keep bringing the kids into the church sometimes it's not possible now, here's
1: the here's the question of the happy medium here a little bit at least from the presider's standpoint you know i, I love having kids i even love having crying kids in the church hmm. uh you know uh you know if the if the kids aren't crying then you know the church isn't growing you know and so uh the um the the happy medium is when do you bring your kids out and when
0: do you keep them in i know it's where's the balance and it's it's different, probably for every parent and probably every kid. You know, you don't treat all your kids the same either because they don't have the same personality. So, for- have you ever gotten really distracted oh, yeah. by a family? Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've even brought it up in a couple of homilies as a, it, it, to make fun. You know, not to put them down, but it's like how much of a distraction some things can happen. You know, it's like, and sometimes it seems to always apply very well to the homily right when it happens. But, uh, uh, yeah, there are definitely some people, and it is, you have to be very careful, especially when you're the presider or the, pa- the pastor, because people can take offense quite easily about stuff. It's like, you know, I mean, we have a cry room for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and so, uh, you know, you, we want you to take advantage of that. and uh, but, at, but I don't want to sound like well, we don't want your kids here because we want them here, you know.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I know at our church, they have a little sign in the back of the church and gathering space that I think the title is Dear Parents, Relax or something. And it's just a little note about they're okay with kids being in the church and making noise because kids make noise. Right, right. Uh-huh. And uh, and the, and I think that's encouraging, and you see a lot of people, you know, following that and bringing their kids inside.
1: We're looking for your questions, your calls at eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. That's eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two, or on our Facebook page, or if you just want to hear us talking about crying kids the whole time, that is uh perfectly fine. But it's up to you, the listener. 877-795-0122. Any question that might be on your mind?
0: and We'll be available for straight talk today till about 10 o'clock this segment, and then we'll be moving on to, to something else. So uh, a little bit less than 20 minutes left. If there's something on your mind or that burning question or something that you wanted to share in conversation, certainly give us a call and... And bring it up on the air, and we'll we'll go from there. You don't have to be on the air if you want to submit your question and have them uh, give it to us, in, and not be on the air live. Th- that is an opportunity for you as well. So, how many masses do you say a week? I mean, excuse me, on the weekend.
1: Oh, I've got for uh, your parish. I mean, if there's not a funeral, I've got uh, three. So I got two parishes. So, uh, so yeah, three, which is kind of typical for. It's
0: kind of a typical uh, for a priest. Three masses, I'd say. Mhm. Mhm. And do you um you've had times where you've had an associate pastor? Just once. Just for once. for a two-year period of time I had, I had an associate. Okay. Father Ben Hadrich. Do you find that to be do when there's a pastor and associate, is it a great help for you as a pastor? <laughs> I and mean, well, he's a particular <laughs> No, we're on the air right now, right? <laughs> <pastor. laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it difficult uh you know trying to manage your parish plus an associate? What was it like for you?
1: Um, you know i mean uh as as a you know I mean as a pastor it's uh it's a great blessing to have a brother priest with you you know and and you know that you both have the same vocation and that's a beautiful thing uh my parish that I was in when I had him was not a parish that normally had an associate, but we had so many ordinations, which was a great thing to have uh that uh, we had to find guys we had to find places for guys and so for me, it was a little bit of a challenge because here I've got enough, you know, going on that I'm handling it. Now you just insert somebody else. That's like, okay, now we have to find work for this guy. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit of a challenge uh, for that very reason because uh, we were not a parish with an associate okay. normally, and now all of a sudden you insert one, you know, and so it's like, but it gives you an opportunity to
0: have a lot of. Um, uh, uh, new things happening in a parish that you couldn't do with just one priest. And I imagine that was the case for you at, at that time, that there were th- ways you were able to plug him in or have some new initiatives started because there are you know two of you there and not just one. And Father
1: uh, Father Ben had, had, was a man of a mind of his own. He mm-hmm. still is a man still of is. a mind of his still own. And, uh, and so it's like I could help direct him as the pastor, but um, uh, I think that... He uh, he very quickly got out of his seminarian brain mode that I do as I'm told, and so Father Ben was uh, uh, doing things on on uh, his own watch, which was still good. So I gave I gave him a lot of leeway in that regards, uh, but um, he was certainly very helpful, and it was it was good to have him. It was good. That's great. It's like
0: we actually finally have a call. Now let's go to the phones here. We have Barb listening in Duluth. Are you with us here, Barb? Yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Thanks for joining us here on Real Presence Live. What's your question this morning? My question uh, has to do with if you could just explain a little bit of the process on how our Pope might be selecting our next bishop, like who he gets advice from, um, what their criteria might be. I'd appreciate just a little bit more knowledge about how that's done.
1: Thanks a lot, Barb. Yeah, the 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 process of uh, selecting a bishop is actually quite extensive, and uh, the church does due diligence in finding the right people that might be called to that uh, to that vocation. So usually, what happens is when there's an opening, there are the the bishops in the area are usually asked. Uh, Well, I mean, it's kind of several things are happening at the same time. Bishops in the area, maybe the archbishop in particular, but other bishops in the area are asked, you know, about maybe some people that might be good candidates. You know, probably at the same time, there are also questions that are being asked of people within the diocese, usually officials uh, uh, within the diocese, priests or whoever, of what kind of a bishop that they're looking for, what kind of person, what kind of traits. And then, you know, eventually um, maybe some names kind of get whittled down and there's a uh, maybe some three or four names that look like they have uh, some potential to be the next bishop and then then questions are asked and all on a very you know secretive level it 's very it 's meant to be kept uh, very private uh, about particular individuals say you might get a, if you 're a priest you get a letter from the uh, the Holy See or from the nuncio from the from which is the ambassador to the country basically from the Vatican, you know Father so and so would he what are his traits possible would he be a good bishop for this diocese, and uh, so all sorts of questions get asked of all sorts of different people, eventually they whittle it down to a group of three, there's a, um, a, a congregation of bishops in the in the Holy See at Rome that uh, basically bring the top three together. They do a biography of them, and then they list them in order in regards to which ones they think would be the best for that diocese, and then they literally bring it over to the Pope, and that list is called Eterna, the list of three, and then the Pope will um, uh, pray over that, uh, that list of three, and they always list them in the order that the congregation of bishops think that it should be, like number one is their first choice, number two, second, third, and then the Pope is free to choose. He reads the biography. Obviously, he doesn't know all these guys, probably doesn't know any of them. But he reads the uh, biographies and then he'll pray and then make a decision as to which one of those three. And he might even say he might not even want any of those three. If the Spirit moves him to say, nope, I want another group of uh, selections, that that might happen. So that's basically, in a nutshell, Barb, that's kind of how the bishops are chosen.
0: Did that create any follow-up question (laughs) from you, Barb, (laughs) or how does that sound? Well, it sounds like it's a great process, and and I was just wondering how they did it on the local level. So it's nice to know that that the Pope does get input from from our diocese and and the people that mean so much to him. So thank you for your help. Thank
1: you, Barb. That was a great question. See, it's not that scary to call in with a question. Just call 877 795 0122, 877 795 0122, or you can get us on our Facebook page.
0: Well, here's a follow-up question to that. So, you mentioned the nuncio or the papal ambassador. So, is he the one that is in charge of the local process as it happens with all the questions to the officials? He's in charge. Every
1: nuncio is in charge of their of the country that they're the nuncio (laughs) of. You know, and so uh, the nuncio would be the one that really first. He's, that's one of the big parts of his job as nuncio is to see to it that proper people are chosen, proper men are chosen to be bishops of that country that he's the nuncio of. Okay. So nuncio is, is an ambassador. Okay. Uh, nuncio means to announce. So it's like this was the person that was announcing the news from the Pope. He was the guy that was representing the Pope in this country. And so we've just kept
0: that term for uh, for a very long time as we do in the Catholic Church. Could you as a priest of our diocese end up receiving a letter like that? Sure, about, absolutely. A, about a potential oh, candidate.
1: Absolutely. And that, that's, that would be the hope of the process is that that the people that are in the diocese, uh, certain priests in the diocese or even probably lay people maybe, are asked questions about what do you see the needs of your local church? Because we're the ones that know what's going on in our local church, right? I mean, we we know what the challenges are. We know what kind of person we could really use as a shepherd. And so, um, uh, that's definitely an important part of the process, mm-hmm. but the thing is, everything's secretive, and so it's like if you if you get a letter, um, uh, uh, it's I don't know if they call it a pontifical or an apostolic secret, but it's a, it's it's meant to be a very private thing because we don't want any jockeying or any politics going on in the church
0: in regards to the process of uh, selecting a new bishop. Okay, okay, that gives me a lot of uh, hope and encouragement. You know, you, I think about our Catholic principle of subsidiarity, right that those who are the closest and the most local are the ones really heading up who are on the list that's going to go that way. Well, I wouldn't necessarily
1: say that. I mean, they have a lot of influence. They they have influence in regards to what kind of person, what kind of person we need. Mm -hmm. And so as far as like the names, I think that uh, a lot of the, at least in my experience, and my experience is very limited, of course, but in my experience, the idea of an archbishop the archbishop of a, of a region has a fair amount of say in regards to his, his submittal of potential bishops usually has a little bit more weight than, than like maybe another bishop. So for us, is that Hebda? Yep. Archbishop Archbishop Hebda. Hebda. Okay. For the, for, for our, which is North and South Dakota and Minnesota.
0: Okay. Okay. That's good. There's a lot that I didn't know about that process. Yeah.
1: And I'm not saying that I know (coughs) the whole process, you know, I mean, there's, there are aspects of it, of course, that are unknown to me, you know, but, uh, we have faith and confidence that uh, that there's um, the Holy Spirit guiding that. you know. So, yeah, uh, and for dioceses like Duluth, this is a very real issue right now because we are without a shepherd, and when we don't have a shepherd, you can feel it, especially when you're a priest. Clergy really, really experience this.
0: So is there an average turnaround time? About a year. Okay. For a diocese our size, well, about a year,
1: hopefully a little bit under a year. Uh, I don't know. This, again, this is I'm out of my territory here a little bit. But after a year's time without a bishop, the administrator of the diocese gets more authority, so to speak, after a year. And so I think the Holy See has tried to avoid that and tried to, for no reason of distrust of administrators, but but uh, administrators are not are not bishops, right? And so there's a very big difference. And so the, I think the the church has really made an effort to make it you know under a year. And so. I would guess that we would probably be maybe getting a um, uh, an announcement probably sometime in maybe late October or sometime in early November about a new bishop being named for the diocese. Okay,
0: and you expect it to be a little bit under a year maybe due to the nature of the way that we lost our bishop. Is that what you're referring to because it was sudden? or, or? Uh, No, not necessarily. I mean, if you have a really big diocese like um,
1: phil- like Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, like Philadelphia, and uh, they have uh, something called coadjutors, or not coadjutors, but um, uh, um, uh, what's the word? It's, it's. I'm losing my mind right now. As for the bishop that 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 um, uh, anyhow, the bishop that is chosen to be the next bishop who works under the existing bishop until he retires. Ah, that's right. What the heck? Now I'm having a. A brain stop right now, but anyhow. Uh so, so some of these dioceses they know who their new bishop is even before the last bishop is retired. Okay. So uh that's not our diocese because we're a small diocese. But anyhow, we do have a uh another question here.
0: We got Kathy from Rapid City on our line here. Are you with us, Kathy? I am. Yes. Good morning. Welcome to Real I- Presence Live. We can hear you loud and clear. What's your question? <clears throat> I was talking to a friend the other day, and she she asked me, if the Jewish people are the chosen people, why are you Catholic and not Jewish? Can you answer that? That's a great question for you in particular, Father Rich. yeah, I mean,
1: uh, the you know the Jewish people are God's chosen people. we We in a particular way see that in the um uh, in the Old Testament, you know, I mean, the Jewish people were really the first. What we'd call monotheistic people—they're the first people that that um, uh, had belief in in the one God—and so uh, there were many different nations, there were many different countries, if you will, many different tribal people at that time in the world. Uh, but God chose the Jewish people to to reveal Himself in that very real way to them. So they are indeed His chosen people, and of course the Messiah comes from the chosen people. God chose the Jewish people to have the Messiah. Arise from them. We are Catholic because we recognize the Messiah that came forth from the Jewish people. You know, I always say that we're we're um, uh, we're Jewish as Catholics. We're Jewish once removed. You know, we the the natural logical um, uh, is Catholicism. You know, it was Pope Pius XI who said when uh, you know it was during uh, the up leading up to World War II, and there's so much anti-Semitism. Uh, um, he was very. Um, uh, strong voice against that and he basically said he said spiritually we're all semites spiritually all of us all christians are jewish because jesus was jewish jesus came from the jewish people the chosen people and so uh uh, and so they are that we still refer to them as the chosen people they are the ones that god chose to reveal himself fully through does that make any sense kathy or some sense
0: Yes, it does. So I, when I talk to her next week, I'm going to share with her. Great. Why? Thank, thank, thank you very you. much for listening, Kathy, and Thank you for the thank question. You. We have a number eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. We have about five minutes left in our Straight Talk segment today. Let's go back to the phone lines. Here we have Michael from Grand Forks. Are you hearing us, Michael? Yes, sir. Hey, See, you good morning, it. sir. Good morning. I, I attended the uh, Kateri Conference a few years back in Fargo, and I met Bishop Chapu. and I heard that Archbishop, he, he's retiring. And my question is, what does the Archbishop do afterwards, then? Does he go, even go up further to Rome, or...?
1: That's a, that's a good question. Well, well, you know, when when uh, Michael, kind of the same thing applies to anybody that retires. Once you retire, I suppose the the world's your oyster a little bit. You can kind of do things that you want. Um, and I think that, from at least again in my own experience and knowing the bishops and archbishops that I know, is that when they retire, most of them they generally stay in the area, and um, uh, they probably help the new bishop in regards to confirmations and uh, uh, in you know helping out in in uh, parish work. And so they remain a bishop because they're ordained as a bishop. But uh, a lot of um, uh, bishops, just like any priests uh, still want to stay engaged in ministry to some degree. And so I could, I don't know for sure what Archbishop whose uh, plans are, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised that, that uh,
0: he stays around in uh, his area and just helps out the, with the new bishop. And to add on to that, knowing uh, what, uh, you know, I know about Archbishop of Hugh I would guess that he's going to be a, a retired bishop that we see a lot of, that he'll remain very active uh, in our church. Um, I'm sure we'll be seeing him at a lot of Catholic conferences Absolutely. and speaking at a lot of events. Yeah. And, Archbishop Chappu is, a, is ext- in my estimation, an extraordinary man. It, he's a, he's top.
1: Yeah, so, top notch. Yeah, and so to, to have him uh, uh, available for the church uh, nationwide is certainly something, as Kevin is saying, is probably going to happen. You're going to see probably. Um, Archbishop travel around to all sorts of different Catholic um, uh, gatherings. Spiritually, uh,
0: oh. spiritually, I uh, felt the presence presence with him when I when I heard him speaking and stuff, and then uh, always thought
1: he was going to become a cardinal and and make it their own. Yeah, well, you know, what? we never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And uh, there's been lots of times in my my life as a priest where I thought certain guys would be made bishops and certain bishops would be made cardinals that it doesn't happen. So, you know, God's ways aren't our ways. But that does not take away anything from uh, Archbishop Shep, who I've certainly met him uh, on a number of occasions. And I'd and say that uh, he, he's a top notch, as Kevin was saying. He's just a great, great bishop.
0: And I know exactly you know what you're saying, Michael, as far as you know just feeling the Holy Spirit speak when you're listening to him talk. Uh, I'm right with you on that. I always cool. had a, a little
1: uh, jo- I always had a little bit of a joke going on with Archbishop Shifu. I don't even know if you'd remember this, but he, uh, he was the bishop, I think of Rapid City, I believe, uh, um, and a long time ago and we he had seminarians at the seminary I was at Immaculate Heart of Mary Seminary in Winona. And uh, he was coming to visit his seminarians, and I was working in the kitchen. That was one of my jobs at the seminary, and I saw the bishop move, it, come in and uh, park his car, and and uh, he forgot to shut his lights off. And that was back in the day when cars didn't have lights shut off automatically. And so I ran out there, and I called the bishop and said, your lights are still on, your lights are still on. And then uh, he went and he shut them off. And from that point on, he and I always joked about my telling him to shut his lights off. So I don't know if he remembers that, but that was a little my little slice of a my first experience with Bishop Chaput. Anyhow, so we've well, we had day, a number. Th- thank you very Thanks much for the Michael. call, Thanks Michael. For the call, so that was a good uh, segment of uh, of um, straight talk. And soon after the break, we're going to be having Rhonda Hughes on the air with us, talking about the Vatican returning to Duluth and what exactly does that mean. That will be that will be happening in a, just a few seconds after we get done having that break. So, after we're done with the break, there you go. We'll talk to you after the break.